Open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 30. I never intended this series to go very long, but I have so much material. Lord, give me direction, and we will finish when you know we should, in my estimation, and we'll cover what we can. Isaiah chapter 30. Let's remind ourselves that most men, most Christians, especially today, do not want the truth. And it's really never changed. They didn't want it in the Old Testament. They didn't want it in Eden. That's going a long way back. They didn't want it in the New Testament. John chapter 6, 15,000 went away. And it's the same today. We live in the perilous times of the last days. Paul said in that 21-verse prophecy, for the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine but shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. Look at Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now go. Isaiah 30 and verse 8. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people. Lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. This is the church of God of the Old Testament. This is Israel. These aren't the Philistines or the Babylonians. Which say to the seers, that's the preachers, to make it easy. Which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We don't want to hear doctrinal messages anymore about God and hell and fire and brimstone. That's all gone away. It's new now. We just want to have a praise band and a smoke and light show. We want smooth things. We want Joel. Joel smiles the entire 25 minutes that he's memorized all week of what he presents at Lakewood Church. We want that kind of a sermon. We don't want the Word of God and people Bible pounders. Is that new? It's old. It was 500 B.C. When Isaiah wrote these words about Israel then, and that 10th verse is so terrible... Prophesy not unto us right things. We don't want sound doctrine. Speak unto us smooth things. We want nice sounding stuff that you can make us feel good about ourselves. Have you ever seen Joel go for 10 seconds without a big smile? Never. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Minister, don't stay in those old paths. Let's try the new approach to worship. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. It's hard to imagine those words coming from people that know better, like the church of the Old Testament, but they came from them, and the same kind of things are being said today, and it's described for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. That's the third time I'm telling you it's the most important prophecy in the Bible for us. Because it tells us exactly what we've got to arm ourselves against. When Paul says... 
Perilous times shall come. What is the danger, Paul? Then he lists 19 traits in the first five verses that would accompany this decline in religion. Then he describes their ministers. Then he describes the cure. And the cure is easy. It's three words long. Do you remember it? Preach the word. Second Timothy 4.2. Preach the word for the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. And because of Jonathan Carnell, we should also remember in there that the job is to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. He mentioned that as a thanksgiving and a need for us to remember that that's how God presents truth. This this attitude toward truth is is the attitude we would have if it weren't for the grace of God in our lives. Some of us who remember the times where there was no grace in our lives or we were living in rebellion against it, know that we didn't want to hear a Bible-thumping, fire-breathing, hell-and-brimstone sermon. We wanted to hear something entertaining, and we waited until the preacher's next illustration. My brother and I, who have heard quite a few preachers in our time, you know, would remember the illustrations and not the Word of God that was preached to us. I don't know how to tell illustrations, so all you get is the Word of God, I hope. I want to illustrate it with things like Ahab and Micaiah having heaven open to him and seeing how it really works in this world. The God of heaven sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven before him, and he asks for ideas on how to get Ahab to battle, and he picks idea number three. You know, when I do this, all of our young people should know that's an angel in heaven raising his hand to take care of you for a given day. Don't ever go into surgery thinking that it's a doctor going to take care of you. Go into surgery and realize that there was a staff meeting that morning, and it wasn't a staff meeting in the hospital. It was a staff meeting in heaven where the Lord of hosts said, who's going to take care of you today in surgery? And angels raised their hand and had ideas, and the Lord said, I like that one. Go and do it, and it will prosper. Because that's what Micaiah saw about what happens in heaven. Now that is social studies. That is theology. That is a worldview that will give you peace. There's a God in heaven who's taking care of us every day, and those angels are our servants. You say, well, they're more powerful than we are, and they're more glorious than we are. We've been made a little lower than the angels. I mean, isn't that nice? To have some servants that are bigger and better than you? Don't say the word better. We're the sons of God. They are not the sons of God in the way that we're the sons of God. That is not going to help me get through my material. (laughs) Telling you about pavilions or angels. But I want you to rejoice in the the things that the Lord has shown us. Let's turn close by to Jeremiah chapter 11 and see another example of God's judgment for a bad attitude about truth. And there are many of these in the Bible. Rejecting truth brings severe consequences. So the point right now at hand is truth is a responsibility. Truth brings a duty to bear. Eric just mentioned that before he sat down. Truth brings responsibility. So let's embrace that responsibility and fulfill it so God will give us more truth. We just prayed for more truth. We always want to pray for more truth. We want to pray like Solomon prayed. I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Give me a wise and understanding heart so that I can know more of your truth. We want that attitude always in this church. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 21. Therefore, 
Thus saith the Lord of the men of Anathoth, these are the enemies of Jeremiah, that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand. These men of Anathoth threatened Jeremiah to stop preaching in the name of the Lord Jehovah God of Israel, or they would kill him. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. Jeremiah couldn't, Jeremiah didn't. I will punish them. The young men shall die with a sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no rem remnant of them. For I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth, even the year of their visitation. I will visit them in anger and judgment and fury and bring upon them the things he described here of punishment. Their young men will die with a sword and their sons and their daughters die by famine. Those are not pleasant ways to go. But they would happen to the men that resisted the truth being preached by Jeremiah. If you can turn over a little further to the little book of Amos. Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Hosea, Amos. The little book of Amos. There's some more warnings like that. The point is, truth is a responsibility. If we neglect it, if we reject it, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of God's punishment. This is what the Bible warns us in both Testaments. Hebrews chapter 2 would put it, For if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken you know, by Moses, and then by the Lord Jesus Christ, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Right. There are severe consequences for the blessing of truth. Right. And it's, it, they're worthwhile. Why would we ever run into the trouble of the curses on those rejecting truth. We're not going to reject truth. We're going to embrace truth. But I hope I'm speaking for all of you. As a church, we want to embrace truth, obey truth, love truth, promote truth, defend truth at all times, and hold it fast. So then we don't have to worry about these passages. But I'm bringing these passages up to remind you that God wants you to know He knows He's giving you a blessing with truth, and you better take advantage of it. Do you know how late, stay at Amos 2, but I want to read Sweet Lady Wisdom's words in Proverbs 8, 13, stay at Amos. I won't tell you where I'm going. <clears throat> it's Amos 8, 36, and you know I'll always tell you where I'm going, and you know it's in an outline that'll be available on the internet. He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me Love, death. Is that shortened to the point? He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. We could actually back up here from truth is a responsibility to truth is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be blessed or it's an opportunity to be cursed. By Lady Wisdom herself, depending on how you treat her. How do you want to treat wisdom right now? after reading 836, I hope you want to embrace her. And I hope you want to sit down at her table and have her feed you her mingled wine and she's killed her beasts and she wants to teach you simpletons her wisdom. Those you simpletons means all of us. Right. Her wisdom. Right. Now back to Amos chapter 2 and verse 11. And I raised up of your sons for prophets. This is God telling Israel all the good things he had done for them. But I'm... I'm I have skipped a chunk of this chapter 
to get to the point where it deals with truth. And I, God, ordained men for the benefit of the Old Testament church. And I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink. What was one of the rules of being a Nazarite? You couldn't touch anything from the grapes. You couldn't have grapes, you couldn't have raisins, you couldn't have wine. That was one of the rules of the Nazarite. But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. I gave you prophets, you told them not to prophesy. I gave you men that wanted to take the Nazarite vow on, like Samson, and you gave them wine to drink. Behold, this is God speaking, I am pressed under you. You people are crushing me, as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. The Lord would bring judgment upon them by bringing foreign armies and steal away all of their advantages and their abilities and their strengths that they relied on. If you want to leverage what you've got and make it better, embrace God's truth. If you want to have taken away from you the courage of a man, if you want to have taken away from you the ability and the opportunities and the privileges and blessings of God in the various parts of your life, neglect or reject his truth. The Bible would put it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, despise not prophesyings. What does that mean? Love preaching. It brings a responsibility. Does God hide truth from men? In Matthew chapter 11, did Jesus Christ look at his audience? Why is it only the prostitutes and tax collectors that follow me? All these robed seminary graduates over here, they hate me. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank thee that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Amen. God absolutely does hide truth from men that go to seminary and think that that makes them great, who think they are wise and noble in their own eyes, who think they have understanding without humbling themselves as a little child. Listen, brethren, that is not the way to go. God hides things from the wise and prudent and reveals them to babes. That's why Solomon said, I am but a little child. Do you like being the babes of the Lord? Amen. Let's always be the babes of the Lord. He knows it. We might as well admit it. We're his babes. Amen. Be that way. Sol you know, when Solomon said, I am but a little child, give me a wise and understanding heart, that's in 1 Kings 3. What do we read in 1 Kings 4? All the kings of the earth came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. How did that happen? That kind of a prayer. Right. We're nobodies. That's why I like it when someone writes us and says, who's behind this website? Look at all this material. I can't find any names. I can't find any people. I can't find any pictures. I can't find any degrees. Because that's the last thing we want to tell you. We want to give you God's word. And we always want to be that way. Because God will bless it that way. God does hide and, hide and conceal truth from men. Does he blind men at times? 
Why did David number Israel? Because God blinded David and turned him over to Satan for that event. Second yeah. Chronicles 24.1 says that God hardened David. First Chronicles 21 says God turned David over to Satan. Altogether, forever, to send him to hell? No, no, and no for one event, to number Israel. Why? Because God had a reason against Israel and wanted to kill 70,000 men, and they ended up doing it, but he used David for it and humbled David because of it, and there is a long string of good transactions that come out of that use of David. Amen. You know, there was an angel standing over Jerusalem with a drawn sword, and 70,000 men were dead from pestilence. We can't even imagine 70,000 Americans dying at once. What was it? 2,900, 2,800, 3,100 that died in the Twin Towers 15 years ago out of a nation of 320 million people? That was a very small number compared to 70,000 out of a nation of 5 million? That angel with the sword drawn? David runs to the spot, grabs a farmer that was there, takes his yoke of oxen, offers it as a sacrifice to God, and that sword was sheathed. And Solomon built the temple right there. Right. Mount Moriah. Where Abraham had tried to offer Isaac. God never held those 70,000 men against David. God held something against David. And God held some of the things in David's life against him. Like Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. But not the 70,000 because God had turned David over to that particular sin. Come back a few pages to Isaiah 63. We're just looking at examples in the Bible of God blinding men. We want to understand this. Most Christians do not understand it. They don't think it's fair. They think that all men have a right to truth, that God is just so burdened with wanting to show truth to everyone. Yes, that's why we have a natural creation. So the Bible says they are without excuse. The whole world is taught a sermon and preached a message from God every day and every night, day unto day uttereth speech. Psalm 19, Romans 1.20, they're without excuse. He does it by providence. He fills their hearts with food and gladness. When you have a great day, you get a promotion at the job, you come home, your spouse is happy, the dog's cheerful, and you have a great meal, and you just feel that warmth, the sun embraces you, and all those good feelings, that is from God. Acts 14, 17 tells us that is from God. He gives it to the whole world, but only we know that is his witness that he is good. Amen. There's creation. He's got an eternal power with a Godhead. There's providence. He's good. There's conscience. He's righteous. All men have a conscience. Why do you think there are laws in other nations against murder? Because they read Genesis 9? No. Why do they have laws against murder? Because God put it in their conscience. Romans 2, 12 through 16. So there's these different ways God has taught everyone. But you know what? Those men have rejected all three. They reject creation. They come up with evolution. They reject providence. God is watching from a distance if there is one. They've, they're against conscience. Whatever you feel like doing, don't listen to that little voice. Listen to, you know, what you feel like, you know? Let's do what the Gronk would do. If you don't know who that is, don't worry about it. You didn't miss anything. Lord, save us from all that. 
Look at Isaiah 63, 17. Let's see if God wants to give truth to everyone. O Lord, Isaiah 63, 17, and this is a sampling of verses from the Word of God on this subject. If you want all the verses on this subject, it's a sermon entitled and a long outline on our website called, Is God the Author of Confusion? And he absolutely is. That's why it was called Babel, because there he confounded the languages of men. Is he the author of confusion in the assemblies of his saints? Never. That's why it's used in 1 Corinthians 14. God is not the author of confusion in the assemblies of his saints. All church assemblies should be done decently and in order. But outside of those assemblies, as far as wicked men, does God confuse them, confound them, blind them, harden them, deceive them, and send strong? Absolutely, yes. And you know what that does for us? It's a blessing to have truth. And so we thank God and humble ourselves, drop to our knees, and say, Lord, have mercy upon me for ever neglecting it or rejecting it. Show me thy way, and I will run in the way of your commandments. Right. O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and hardened our heart from thy fear? Return for thy servants' sake the tribes of thine inheritance. Amen. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, a missionary passage that is quoted many times in the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees a vision of God's glory. God says, whom, will I, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah 6, 8. It's a glorious chapter of Scripture. I thank God for... A, for a day when I was 18 years of age, where this particular prophecy humbled me to the wretched sinner that I was. I loved him being lifted up and me being put down. Verse 8, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Is there any other way to answer that question? Right. Here am I. Send me. Amen. No matter where he sends you. We all have things we can do today for the Lord. In the pulpit or in the pew. We're going to go home and we're going to have all kinds of things that we can do for the Lord. Mm -hmm. He's sending us to be righteous and holy in an unrighteous and unholy generation. Right. Yes, it's usually used ministerially. Yes, Isaiah went as a ministry, went as a prophet. But here comes the prophecy. And he said, verse 9, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then I said, Lord... How long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten, as a teal tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. The nation of Israel will be turned into a dead tree, but there's always acorns that fall from dead trees or deciduous trees that lose their leaves. 
and that acorn falls in the ground and it grows another tree, doesn't it? And the Lord was going to have a people even after 70 AD when he destroyed Israel and scattered them into all nations. But until then, the prophecies of the New Testament were being fulfilled. The Jews did not believe the gospel. This prophecy is quoted over. I grew up hearing missionaries all the time. Every month in our church, there was a missionary supper when a missionary would come and present their mission work somewhere in the world. And, you know, I've heard Isaiah 6, 8 many times, but I never heard Isaiah 6, 9 through 13. But when I go to the New Testament, all I can find is Isaiah 6, 9 through 13 quoted repeatedly, and I can never find Isaiah 6, 8. Are you with me on how we better, we better not be partial in the Word of God? Malachi chapter 2 says to priests that are partial in the Word of God, I will take your feasts and spread them like dung on your faces. Let's be fair with the Word of God. Do you know what gets quoted in the New Testament? This judgment upon Israel. Jesus quoted it several times. The Apostle Paul quoted to the Jewish leadership that was in Rome when he finally got to Rome. It's in Acts chapter 28, verses 25 through 28. This warning is there about the judgment of blindness being brought upon Israel. That's horrible. Look at the prophet cry out in verse 11. Lord, how long? How long is this going to go on? And he explains it's going to go on for a long time. And then he's going to destroy, Israel was going to be scattered by the Roman armies in 70 AD, and it was. Does God rewire men's minds? Romans 1, he gives them over to a reprobate mind. So they do things which are inconvenient. I've explained that a little bit at times before, and I'll not do it right now. Uh, The things they're doing out there right now are very inconvenient. I showed you a picture on Wednesday evening of that family from Detroit, Michigan, that's getting, you know, they get, they get in the paper. They get in the news magazines. They get on the internet for something that is so diabolically profane. Lord, have mer- forgive our nation, if you can, for the sake of your righteous that are still in it. Heavenly Father, you would spare, you would have spared Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain if Lot and his wife and his two daughters and the three other daughters and their three husbands, the ten, would have been righteous, you'd have spared it all. Have mercy on America because of the righteous that still live in this nation and preserve it for their sake. Look at Second Timothy chapter 4. I've quoted it a couple of times, but I want you to see it because it matches so well with Isaiah 30. Do you remember what we read in Isaiah 30? Prophesy unto us smooth things. Get us out of the path. Get you out of the path. We need a new way of worship. We want to do things differently than it's been done in the past. Is what they said in Isaiah 30, and it's the same today as we see this prophecy being fulfilled. I have mentioned the prophecy that starts at 3-1, and goes to 4-4. Four, four. It's one lesson. If you're, Some of us have memorized verses. You know, and this is dangerous when you just pull a verse out and memorize it without fully grasping its context. But these 21 verses are one main lesson of a decline in Christianity that would threaten true churches and true Christians. This is not the world. 
When you start reading down through the list, men shall be lovers of their own selves. What do you mean they shall be? Does that mean, Paul, that in the time that you're writing here before it came, that all men were lovers of others and they were keeping the second commandment of loving their neighbor as themselves? No. no. I mean, these are Christians. Christians would become lovers of their own selves. The world's always been wicked. Was Cain a lover of Abel? No. Cain was a lover of his own self. He was a pagan. The world's always been that way. The world is not changing that way. These crimes have always been there by the world, but this was new for churches to allow these things. And when you look around today, the churches are allowing all these things. Most youth groups are not holy meetings. This passage says they'll be unholy. Church youth camps. For those of you that have ever been to any, I can tell you about them, but you don't want to hear it until we have a men's meeting. I want verses 3 and 4 to remind us that truth is rejected and resented for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I know I have quoted this verse to you. I want you to see it. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. There'll be lots of them. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. And so the cure is in verse 2, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. That means to be insistent, pressing, and urgent upon people. To reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. It's not all praising you. It's not all telling you, look in the mirror, as Robert Schuler did for so many years. Look in the mirror and tell yourself how beautiful you are. And his crystal cathedral out west. Look what it says, to reprove. That's to tell you you're wrong. To rebuke, to tell you you're wrong again. To exhort, to push you and press you to doing what is right. That's Bible preaching. But they're gonna get, they'll get rid of that. The time will come when they will not endure it. And we're there. New Bible versions annually? Come on, we need a new Bible version every year? Who's behind that? It must have something to do with this, since all of them are copyrighted. I don't think it's really a love of the truth, or they wouldn't copyright it. King James isn't copyrighted. You can run down to a copy shop right now and print it off. A new Bible version every year, changing words, changing doctrine, changing style of the, of the Word of God. Ridiculous fads like holy yoga. You know, I sent you a little notice this week about holy yoga that mixes Hindu devil worship with following Jesus Christ. How can you mix the two? Holy yoga? That's a contradiction in terms. That's like grape nuts or Christian scientists. There's no holy yoga. But they'll do anything. And you know, it's, it's a fad. It's a rage. They'll, they'll, they'll take holy yoga or a teacher about holy yoga rather than sound doctrine from God's word. If truth is a right, let's look at it this way for a few minutes. If truth is a right, why did Jacob feel unworthy for it? Genesis 32.10, Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth that thou hast shown me. Jacob said that, that it must not be a right. It must be a gift. It must be a blessing. It must be a privilege. For why did he call it that he was unworthy of it? If truth is a right, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Why did he tell Moses way in advance, I'm going to harden his heart so that uh, we can get through all ten plagues and then drown him in the Red Sea? 
but go in there and do your job. And it, and it happened. If truth is a right, why did God give his laws to Israel only? If truth is a right, why did God seal up the Bible to Israel by blinding the eyes of their teachers as we read in Isaiah 29? Remember, they go to the learned and he says it's sealed up. They go to the unlearned and he says, I ain't learned. I ain't learned would be unlearned. If truth is a right, why did God send a famine in the land of Israel of hearing God's words? And we are going to look at that one. Amos. Can you go back and find Amos again? Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos, and we want the eighth chapter this time. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord, for directing this outline to us. Amen. We want this passage. Amos, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Chapter 8, verse 11. Amos eight eleven. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. And so forth. We get letters every week, emails, asking, is there a church that you can recommend in our area. Now, we don't know. And so I tell them a process they can go through to try to find one, but we don't know, and I have to warn them, probably not, because there are very few churches left that are wholly committed to truth and holy living. And I give them a list of criteria to look for when they go visit any church that they're considering. But they're very few, because that prophecy of second Timothy chapter 3 and 4 is being fulfilled before our eyes. And God does things like this. And shouldn't he? With the amount of truth America has turned their back on and the amount of truth that most American churches have turned their back on, this should happen. It did happen to the church of the Old Testament. The days come, I will send a famine in the land. It's not one that happens by coincidence. It's God sending a famine for his words. If, if truth is a right, why do we have Amos in the Bible? It doesn't sound like it was a right to those people because God took the truth of his words away from them. Why did Jesus, if truth is a right, why did Jesus Christ direct his apostles to not preach to the Gentiles? Why for three and a half years did Jesus send his apostles only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Were there Gentiles living and dying without truth because of that choice? Yes. You just better be thankful the day of Pentecost changed things. And, and he raised up the greatest apostle for us, the apostle Paul. Paul said, I magnify my office. I am the apostle of the Gentiles. And that truth has gone, you know, that's another study. But that truth went through the apostle Paul to Rome and to beyond with Pudens and Claudia. Claudia being the daughter of the king of Wales and Pudens be a Roman senator that married her. And that gospel went to the British Isles. And when the British Isles were visited in 500 AD, they were already Christianized. And they claimed that they had come from Paul by converting their king's daughter when in Rome. It's an incredible story of the, of the progression of the gospel up through England and west into to our nation. Right. You know, there were churches in, the well, in Wales 
that, that moved wholesale to the United States in the early days, William Penn days, I mean very early days, Pennsylvania area, that were called Welsh Track Baptist Churches. The whole church would move, whole church, Welsh from Wales, a Welsh Track Baptist Church, the P.D. River area of South Carolina. You ought to look at the history of the P.D. River Association of Baptist Churches and where they came from by a land grant from William Penn. And they were Welsh. They didn't speak English. They, didn't, they spoke in the Welsh language right over here, halfway between us and Myrtle Beach. They're the second group of Baptists in, in, in South Carolina after the Screvens came down from Maine. I love those brothers of ours. And when we sing Faith of Our Fathers, I can only go back a generation or two in my family. But I don't even, you know, I love the faith of my father, and I, but I, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about fathers in the way that Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were their fathers. Right. And there wasn't any biological connection. It was faith in doctrine. Right. I hope that we're holding the faith of the martyrs. If truth is a right, why did Jesus tell his disciples when they told him, Don't, do you know that you just offended the Pharisees by talking about what goes into a man, comes out of a man and goes into the draft or goes into the sewer? Don't you know that you offended them? He said, every plant that my heavenly Father hath planted shall be rooted up. They're blind leaders of the blind. Leave them alone. That's, in, that's the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. Right. And we want him, and we love him, right. and we humble ourselves before him because we are no better than those Pharisees. Right. And if it hadn't been for the grace of God to change us from the inside out and then send his truth to us, convicting us for it, leading us to it, opening the pages of Scripture for us to understand it, we would know nothing just like them right. or less. If it weren't for the grace of God, all glory to God. Salvation is of the Lord. Why did Jesus say in John chapter 9, we'll get there in a few weeks why did Jesus say his mission was of judgment to make the seeing blind was his mission also to make the blind seeing yes but his mission was also to make the seeing blind he took the man born blind from birth and made him see but the Pharisees that were around him railing on him he turned their seeing eyes blind so they could not see that the Messiah of Israel was right in front of them the blind man came up to Jesus and said, Lord, who is the Messiah? Well, it's him speaking to you. And he fell and worshipped him. Right. There at the end of John chapter 9, the blind man saw the ones that should have seen, the ones that went to seminary didn't see. And so truth is not a right, it's a blessing. Why did Paul turn away from the Jews in Acts chapter 13 to leave them in their rebellious unbelief? They were blaspheming God as Paul was preaching in the city of Antioch of Pisidia, across the Mediterranean from his home church of Antioch in Syria. He's preaching away in Acts chapter 13. It's a fabulous sermon. It's the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. He's in the synagogue, and the, the master of ceremonies in the synagogue said, Men and brethren, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? They knew they were visiting Jews. Paul said, Yeah, I might have a couple things to say. <laughs> takes his briefcase up into the pulpit and unwinds on them about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews blaspheme, and Paul stands up, Lo, the gospel should have been preached to you first, but you've judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. 
we turn to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Amen. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed among Gentiles. And here we are 2,000 years later out of Paul saying, it should have been first preached to you, but you've judged yourselves unworthy of the truth. We turn to these pagans over here that have never worshipped a monotheistic God like Jehovah. Let's see how they handle the gospel. And they rejoiced and embraced it as many as were ordained to eternal life did. And that's why we give God all the glory for us believing anything. So we're done for the day. We're going to sing. But the Lord has revealed himself to us. He's revealed his, his son to us. He's opened his word to us. We are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to lay hold of eternal life. We're to believe what's written in the Bible as the way that we're supposed to live when we walk out of here. When we go out of here, there is going to be every kind of distraction from the inside, relationships, family, obligations, world, noise, confusion. Everything is going to try to blow away what we have had for several hours inside these walls. As soon as we step out of here, we will be assaulted. But let us remember that men have died for this truth, and that men that neglected it were severely judged. Men that kept it and loved it were, were greatly blessed. There's great reward in the keeping of it. Let's love his truth, embrace his truth, promote his truth. Let's be the pillar and ground of the truth like a church is supposed to be. But most of all, let's live it and not hold the truth as Jeff prayed a long time ago today in unrighteousness. We've been given too much. To whom much is given, much shall be required. So the standard of holiness that the Lord expects of us is greater than of others. Not because we're better, because he's shown us much by his grace. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word, and may he bless it to the conviction of our hearts to be more committed and dedicated servants of his than before. Amen. In your Burgundy Hymnals, number 292.